The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. So, my name is Eric Lonergan, and I'm on staff uh, up at St. Cloud State University. I've been on staff for uh, quite a while now. I was at University of Minnesota, that's where I graduated from for four years. From there, I went to University of Northwestern St. Paul. And then uh, now, for the past two and a half years, I've been in St. Cloud. Um, and so the, this seminar is called The Paradox of Pain. And uh, just a couple preemptive things about this. You guys hear me okay in the back there? Can you shut those doors, maybe? Um, yeah, maybe shut a... I'll shut this front one here. Sometimes it gets a little stuffy in these rooms, so hopefully that won't happen. <clears throat> but if, if it's distracting out there, feel free to shut the door. I'll leave, leave that on you. Um, so uh, this seminar has been heavily influenced by this book right here, The Cry of the Soul, by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. So if there's things in what I'm saying that kind of pique your interest... I'd really encourage you to check out this book. You can come up to me afterward, ask questions about it. Um, I'm, I'm just going to touch on a theme in this book, some stuff from my own life uh, that have influenced this seminar. But this book unpacks all sorts of emotions and how to deal with them in a healthy way, in a biblical way. And so this uh, seminar is not going to do the book justice. It's just a, a more of a brief overview and introduction to walking through these kinds of things. So... Paradox of Pain, uh, you, could, you could say the subtitle of this would be How to Rightly Handle Your Emotions. That would be like a, a subtitle of, of this topic here. So I'm going to start out by asking just a couple questions to, uh, to get us going here. But I wonder for, for many of you in here how difficult you feel like it is to feel emotions in the extreme sense. Some of us have a hard time feeling emotion just in general, but... Uh, if you were just to think about yourself, and because part of the, what this I want to do today is, is help you grow in emotional EQ, uh, just your, your emotional intelligence. I think that this lacks a lot in the church, it lacks a lot in people in general. Uh, totally secular psychologists would actually say that all the problems in the world have to do with low uh, emotional intelligence. The reason people commit the kind of crimes that uh, Eric Russ was talking about from the front, secular psychologists would almost always attribute that to a low emotional intelligence. And, and the Bible does have things to say about this. Um, <clears throat> but think about these couple scenarios. I want to paint a picture of, of two different extremes. So let's just say, hypothetically, you're, you're in a public situation and someone starts crying, right? And, and it's not just like the, the silent tears rolling down the face, but they're sobbing. It's just, you know, we're in America, and this is happening. Um, I, I would imagine most of you feel pretty awkward over that. Uh, if you're really honest, you probably want that person to go away. Now, some of us might want to go and comfort that person, which would be a good, healthy thing. But if we're honest, a lot of us feel really uncomfortable with that. Or on the other side of the spectrum, think about this. So... I'm a father of two. My, my eldest daughter is six. She's going to be seven in February. And so I get to go to places like the Bounce Adventure. 
or uh, Air Max. And uh, if you don't know what the Bounce Adventure is, don't don't worry. <laughs> uh, I understand. Uh, in St. Cloud, there's this place called Bounce Adventure. It's all these inflatable places. You know what inflatable? What do you call those things? Uh, bounce houses. Bounce houses. There you go. It's just a bunch of them stuffed inside. Uh, uh, a room and you jump around in these things and uh, I always have this nagging hesitation to go full bore on those things because as a parent I'm allowed it's kind of cool actually I don't have to pay just pay for her and then I get to go with her but I always have this nagging sense of not like really going uh, all out with her on there and and you got to ask the question why is that why, why do I not want to do those things so that would be on the other so if you have one in the spectrum is sorrow and pain the other end of the spectrum is joy why am i not willing to sell out to joy what's going on in in that kind of situation you got to ask yourself why that is because i would imagine that exists for you all to a degree um what here's here's what allender and and longman have to say about that this is a helpful quote Perhaps a better explanation for why it's so difficult to feel our feelings is that all emotion positive excuse me, or negative, opens the door to the nature of reality. All all of us prefer to avoid pain, but even more, we want to escape reality. So let me ask you this. What is reality? Well, this is what Allender goes on to say. Reality is you're not at home. And what he means by that is you weren't made for this world. This world is broken. It's messed up. It will always disappoint. Uh, Carrie Fisher, anybody familiar with who that is? Who's Carrie Fisher? Princess Leia from Star Wars, just in case for those who are uninitiated. She said this recently. She just, well, she didn't say this recently. She just died, unfortunately. Um, She tweeted this at one point. I guess it's making the rounds. If my life wouldn't, wasn't funny, it would just be true. And that's unacceptable. That's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. That's a desire to avoid reality. And unfortunately, that's what she was trying to do. I think she popped a lot of pills and was addicted to drugs, and her heart gave out. I think she died of a heart attack. But she's being honest, and she's a lot more honest than a lot of us are in here. Um, and so you got to ask yourself the question, why on the extreme of joy do we want to not sell out? I saw a guy one time in a, in a playground older than me, just sweating like crazy, just running through the playground. And I thought, like, where's the police? Somebody's chasing. What's going on? This, we're in a playground. This guy is older than me, and he is, like, all out on the, on the jungle gym. And, and then I saw his son at some point, and they're playing tag. And I was like, that, that's how life's meant to be lived. That's fun. But, but I kind of, you know, uh, snub my nose at that and think I'm better than that. But I think that he's actually enjoying life as it's meant to be enjoyed. But I think at some point we think to ourselves, no, 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 I don't want to give myself to that because I'm an adult now. Um, I don't know how many of you are thinking that at 18 to 22, but maybe. Um, maybe you think you're too good for that. Uh, hopefully not. But here's why I think why even the most positive things let us down is because you weren't made for this world. Joe Rigney said the other day, I don't know when, you know, all this stuff runs together. He said it at some point that all material things that God has created, if they become the ultimate thing, instead of the creaturely thing that they're supposed to be, they're dust in our hands. 
it's dust. And that's exactly true. There's always diminishing return in this world. I'm married and have sex, right? And, and some of you think sex is the pinnacle of life. And sex will not ultimately satisfy. It, C.S. Lewis says it in all sorts of different ways. We're, we're pining for a flower, the scent of a flower we, we cannot find. Because if you should find within yourself a desire through which this world cannot satisfy, the most probable explanation is you were made for another world. And that's my, that would be my case for the existence of God, that this world's broken and messed up. So even the most pleasurable things ultimately let you down. So there's even a sense in which there's pain behind the greatest pleasure we pursue. This is how the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 8, 22 through 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not, <coughs> excuse me, not only the creation, <clears throat> but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul is saying is the world's messed up. The world's flawed. It's broken. And those of us who trust in Jesus Christ were eagerly awaiting that, that all would be redeemed, that the things that are fractured would be made straight, that, that they would be repairing that would happen. And, and for those of us who are, some of you are in here and you're just a little too comfortable in this world. You're just a little too excited about all this world has to offer. And some of you in, are in here and you need to be comforted by some of the reminders of, of what I'm about to say. Because um, I would imagine for a lot of us in this room, there's a ton of reason for groaning. That if, as I look across, I want to hear each and every one of your stories. I'm, I'm imagining there's divorced families in here. Maybe parents who are going through that right now. Um, I would imagine that there's fractured relationships with family. Maybe a brother or sister or a really good friend. Maybe some of you experienced death. Death of a loved one, a friend, a family member. Maybe some of you have experienced horrific abuse. Emotional, physical um, maybe, unfortunately, even sexual. Maybe some of you are just dealing with a nagging anxiety that feels imprisoning. Like you just don't want to leave your dorm room or your apartment, wherever it is you live. You just feel imprisoned by your very room. The thing that you long for, social connection, is so overwhelmingly scary that you, you stay in your room and it has a self-defeating cyclical process in your life. Or that you feel like you're underneath a depression that just doesn't ever seem to lift. I'm, I'm sure that in this room there are tons of reasons for groaning. And I wish we could just sit, I could sit and talk with each and every one of you about that. Um, or maybe <coughs> some of you, upon hearing that, you feel like, you know, I, I just don't feel that quite yet. I, I feel like, I've talked to a lot of students before who would say, I just don't feel like I've experienced much trauma, much pain in my life. And, and that's understandable because on a certain level, um, there's just the factor of life experience. Some of you haven't been around that long and you haven't experienced that. Some of us have had harder knocks in life than others. But uh, the reality is, like Allender said, all of us desire to escape reality. There, there is something that you've inherited through Adam 
that is sin, and you therefore want to suppress what's true and escape reality. And the reality is we're not at home. And none of us feel really comfortable with that, even, even admitting that. And the longer that you live, the clearer this is going to become to you. Even pain as difficult as I've described, if it hasn't touched you yet, the more you meditate upon these truths that I'm going to unpack today, the better prepared you will be for when it does happen. So this is something that we shouldn't ignore. This is something we should embrace and get our minds fixed on, have a theological framework for, so that when pain does strike you personally or a really good friend, you have some sort of framework to move forward with them in. Um, so here's, here's what leads us to the paradox of pain. Real quick, before I jump into that, what's a paradox? Okay, you might be asking that question. I don't want to take that for granted. A paradox, simply put, is something that at first glance sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like that doesn't make sense. That's, that's a, that sounds like it contradicts. But then when you investigate it further, it works itself out and actually makes sense, okay? That's what a paradox is. So here's the paradox of pain. As you become more familiar with pain in all of its ugliness, there is potential for incredible beauty to happen, to be seen and experienced. The more familiar you... <coughs> excuse me, I've got this nagging cough from a... I'm getting over a cold... So I'm not always getting choked up, uh, just so you know. <clears throat> I am, but not for that reason, not for an emotional reason. That'll come probably eventually. But um, So the more familiar you get with pain and all of its ugliness, there's an opportunity to see and experience incredible beauty. So this is what I want us to buy into. I want you to buy all in, okay? There's my, my uh, token theme reference, all right? <laughs> buy it all in. <laughs> um, so how do, we, how do we move forward? How do we see and experience the beauty? I want to talk about three postures that we need to have before God that should move us <coughs> towards seeing beauty in life. Three different postures. The first is, and, and, and the first two are, are like the ugly, okay? We're going to talk about the ugly a little bit, then we'll get to the beauty. The first is to learn your weakness. Uh, you, we need to learn your, our weaknesses, and this is kind of the ugly within, Okay? That's within us, internally. Secondly, <coughs> we need to lament before God. And that's like the ugly without. That's just a fancy way of saying out there. Um, when, I, when you say the ugly without, that means circumstances, the world, stuff that's out there. Okay? Learn your weakness, lament before God, and then finally, <coughs> long for redemption. That's the beauty we're going to land on. Long for redemption. So, learn your weakness. What do I mean by that? Um, the, before we can move forward, m moving toward greater emotional health, greater EQ, we first have to recognize how it is that we desire to escape reality. How we try to deny weakness. Because you as a human being, by your very nature, are finite and flawed, and, and that's just what it means to be a creature, as, as Eric was talking about. It, you're, you're just, you have limitations as a human being, and that's okay. That's what makes God all the more glorious. Um, but, but there's, the, when it gets to be unhealthy is when we go about trying to deny that weakness. And there's three ways we try to do that. It's, 
and I, I would categorize these as fight, flight, or hide. Peter Scazzaro has a really helpful book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. You can ask me about that as well. Um, I'm just going to give a quick reference to that. But he, these are categories that he has for ways we try to not handle our emotions correctly. Fight, flight, or hide. So what does fight look like? Fight is a refusal to go along life's path. So life is happening not the way you might want it to go. And it's just saying, no, 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 no. This is not how it's going to be. You ever see a kid throw a temper tantrum, right? Like in the, in the mall. And some of you are like, yeah, when I have kids, that's never going to happen. Famous last words. Uh, I always said that. And then I had kids. <laughs> um, so, you know, the kids on the ground kicking and screaming, that's fight. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's just an external representation of what's going on in all of our hearts at different points of our life. Okay? It's, it's defined by anger bitterness, cynicism. It's, it's the person who's, and all of us are in this in some way, shape, or form, who's, what, is, what does Proverbs say? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Because when you have hope for a certain thing, I feel like this has happened to me in degrees in ministry. You, if, you are, if you get into vocational ministry, you're going to find out there is such a brokenness in this world and people are going to abandon the faith. They're going to do horrific things. And it's really easy to give in to cynicism at a certain point. To just say, you know what, this is just the way life is. It sucks. And this period, that's it. Um, for me, what, one of the ways this played out prior to me even being a Christian was when my dad died when I was 15 years old. I lost my father, uh, only child. My mom was away getting groceries at the store and my dad was me and my dad were at home alone together and he died of a massive heart attack and uh, I became really angry in life and in general and so uh, I got hazed when I was high school because I played sports and I was small thrown in locker rooms uh, thrown in a garbage can 30 minutes south of here we, they had this tradition at my high school called canning you didn't want to get canned if you were a freshman and you played sports, it was high likelihood that you would get picked up and thrown in a garbage can. That's just how it was. Um, and I, every time that kind of thing would happen, the mantra in my head was, you don't have any idea what it's like to be me. Now, that's a half-truth. There's something in there that's true. But if that's the only footing that I had... That's just going to make me an angry person. It made, made me an angry person, a bitter person, a cynical person, someone that wasn't all that fun always to be around. Um, and so some of you might relate with that. Flight. What does flight look like? This is the desire to flee um, when things get tough. So you, you numb and avoid life's difficulties. It's defined by addiction, busyness, or other distractions and, I mean, this can, this can influence an entire culture. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Walking from East to West, he's a, he's a famous uh, Christian apologetic speaker. He speaks in defense of the Christian faith all over the world. And he, he, he said this one time. It was, I thought it was interesting and helpful. Have you ever heard of Bollywood, any of you? Okay, Bollywood is like the equivalent of Hollywood in India. And uh, this, I'm not making commentary on uh, a negative commentary on Bollywood. He just made this comment. And I thought it was interesting. 
if you ever watch a Bollywood film, they're kind of strange, according to a Westerner, because every single one is a musical. They're always singing and dancing. And it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> this isn't realistic at all. Because even like the men are overtly strong and, and they are like superheroes. They punch a guy and he flies 50 feet. And this happens like in every movie. And it never is really in line with reality. It's kind of strange. But Rafi made this comment and he said, here's, here's what Bollywood is. It's a way for those in the Indian culture to be distracted from reality. Because if you're in a place like New Delhi, where I've been, it's really hard. After a day in New Delhi and doing ministry on the campus, we'd come back and I'd roll up my sleeve. And if I took my, my finger and just went like this, I would see the line in my arm of where the dirt had been and the dirt underneath my fingernail just from walking around. Not because I was playing in the dirt, except the fact that it was just in the air. And life is hard. And that doesn't even begin to describe the difficult realities in India, but in an entire culture, Bollywood's a way for them to forget about reality for a little bit. But some of us in here are so caught up in trite narratives on Netflix or seeing Star Wars for the seventh time. Now, I'm not saying that's inherently sinful, but it's close. <laughs> Some of you want to see movies so often because you're so, you're so not caught up in a bigger story. You're so in denial of your own story and, and not very impressed by what God could be doing in your life. You know, there's so much that's interesting right around you. You don't have to go to a screen to get excited about it. There's people around you who are hurting, who are fascinating. To ask that you, there are, as C.S. Lewis says it, there are no ordinary people, not a single one. Nobody is ordinary. Everybody is profoundly interesting. And everybody's been profoundly influenced by things that have happened in their lives. And if you think they're boring, the problem isn't probably them, it's you and your lack of curiosity about them. Final category in here is <coughs> hide. <coughs> um, <coughs> the, the, those of us who struggle with hiding, you know, we want to make it look as though the, you know, make the world think that, hey, I've got it all together. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's all good. Oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. That's the kind of language those of us who hide use. Um, it's the forced smile, laugh. You ever heard someone laugh that it just, you knew it wasn't sincere? It's like, it wasn't that funny, and they're continuing to laugh. That could be a sign that that person's hiding. There's some pain that's underneath there, that something deeper going on that they're not in tune with, or at least they're trying to deny. Um, you know, Minnesota nice. Like, we're just going to talk surface level, what the, what the weather's like, how the game went, yada, yada, yada. But you never get into anything deep. Weakness is like a cuss word. I don't want to talk about weakness. I don't want to talk about reality, where I've really come from. It's just easier not to go there. So think about that. Where do you fall out, fight, flight, or hide? And then listen to this. God meets you in your weakness, not in your strength. He comforts those who mourn, not those who live above desperation. 
He reveals himself more often in darkness than in happy moments of life. That's Allender. That, friends, for those of you who are trying to deny your weakness, some of you claim to be Christians and are doing that, and that is anti-Christian. It's anti-gospel. What did Jesus say? I did not come for those who are well, but for the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's the very heart of the gospel. That's what it means to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, is to admit there's a sickness, is to admit there's a weakness, and that's all it means. It's, it's to be honest, congruent with reality, for, for what's going on in here to match what's happening out here. That's integrity, and that's gospel reality. He came for those who are sick, and he invites you. And, and that's where, where we're going with this. So that's what it looks like to learn your weakness. Secondly, to lament before God, seeing the, <coughs> the ugliness around us. To, to, <coughs> excuse me, to lament is to mourn or grieve. And I'm going to use this definition a little bit loosely, but every unhealthy outburst of emotion is in one sense a raging against the reality of a broken world. It's a raging against what's going on around us. And sometimes we need to rage. In fact, we need to rage more often than we do. But to lament is to communicate with God about reality. So how do we do this? How do we communicate? How do we lament before God about reality? Let's learn from David in Psalm 13. It's a quick psalm. We're just going to look at a few of these verses and walk through and make a few observations of what it looks like to lament. So I'm going to read Psalm 13. It's just six verses. <coughs> How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So two observations from this text that help us learn how to lament. The first is that David dialogues with God. He dialogues with God. The second is that he's specifically, brutally honest with God. So there's a dialogue with God, and included in that dialogue is a specific, brutal honesty with God. And that's what we need to move toward. So four times he asks the question, will, will you hide your face from me? How long? Consider and answer me is another thing he says. He's engaging, asking questions with God. He even makes what appear to be demands before God. Consider and answer me. I'm curious if any of your prayers ever look like that. Um, he describes how he feels forgotten, alone. He says, take counsel in my soul, sorrow, hopeless, light up my eyes. Far too often, we don't take our struggles vertically. And if you're not taking your struggle vertically, I promise you, 
There's no neutrality in life. Look, it could be the simplest. You could have been out here in the, I don't know what you call that area, the atrium, yeah, whatever, the big space to my left. Um, You could have been out there with somebody and they dropped a comment on you that hurt. It, It was just biting in what they said. And, and in that very moment, you have a choice. You can either say, oh, that's no big deal in your head or maybe out loud, skirt that under the rug, hiding. Or you can try to think through, did that hurt me? And, and either a so, couple of different things will happen. You'll either fight, you'll flee, or you'll hide. Or you'll take that vertical with God. Those are your only options. That's how life works. There's no other way. And, th- and we have interactions like this every single day. And then, so if that's the case with a, just a, a simple little comment, maybe there's a little banter back and forth with a friend that ends up hurting you. If that's the case in that kind of scenario, can you think about the compounding pain and hurt there is in a dysfunctional family? I'm not even talking about like necessarily a divorced family. I'm just talking about when mommy and daddy fight and you're six or seven years old, and they're hashing it out in front of you. Voices are raised. And that happening over years, that's going to have an impact on you. And you need to talk about that. You need to process that. Secondly, he's specifically brutally honest with God. And this is the trend for the Psalms. Unfortunately, it's not the the trend for Americans, American Christians specifically, we prefer the Hallmark greeting card. We prefer sentimentality. You know, the silliest, cheesiest, you know, placards that are put on in Christian homes that, I don't know, footprints in the sand. Okay, it's not like the worst prayer in the world. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But there's a lot of sentimentality that we are, are more in tune with than what the psalmists are like. The way that they challenge God. Look, let me, well, I don't want to jump the gun. Um, think about what he says here. He's asked God, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Consider this for a moment. Every Old Testament Israelite, that's who David is. He's an Old Testament Israelite, knew God was omniscient and omnipresent. In other words, he knew every Old Testament Israelite had the understanding that God knows all things, that God is everywhere. So, he feels, though, as though God doesn't understand his predicament and as though he's entirely gone, which is an exact contradiction to God's very character. So what is he doing when he's asking these questions? He's calling God's character into question. And it's recorded in the Bible. That's his specific brutal honesty. And some of you are so fake. You're not authentic at all before others and before God. And it won't allow healing to happen. There's no healing that can occur. And this is the model we have in the Bible. He's inviting you to this. The subtitle of Allender and Longman's book is How All Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God. All your emotions reveal your deepest questions about God. So ask yourself and confess to God what you're feeling. Anger fear, jealousy, despair, contempt, or shame. 
the path toward greater intimacy with God is gut-level honesty, even when it means more pain. And I'll tell you this, it always means more pain. The, when, after my dad died, that was painful, incredibly painful. And, and lots of life happened with me coping by just being angry. And I'm still recovering from this, still trying to understand how to have emotional intelligence in my life. But there was a point in which, this was just a few years back, where through some counsel, help of an actual counselor and friends, I decided to write a journal entry, and I entitled it, What If? Because it was easier for me to try and deny the pain in my life, to try to fight, to try to flee, to try to hide, than it was to ask this question. And I realized I never really asked a question like this. So I, I wrote a journal entry entitled, What If? What if, he'd been, what if he'd been alive? What if he lived after I was 15? And I needed to get specific. What if he got to see me go to state in tennis in high school? What would that have been like? What if he got to see me go to college? No one in my family had gone to college. No one had a degree. What if he got to meet my wife? What if he got to meet my kids? What would that have been like? And asking those questions even now is hard. It's harder to ask those questions. It would be easier for me to get angry. It would be easier to be cynical. It would be easier to try to sweep it under the rug. But in the midst of asking those questions is the beginning of healing. When I start to ask those questions, I start to live in reality about what I've lost. And it hurts, but it makes me treasure what I've lost. It, makes, it reminds me of what I had. And it reminds me of what I can give to, to my, my kids, to my wife. And it reminds me that ultimately, who I have left is God himself. And that's where we're going with this. And, and, and let me say this. There's even more on the line. Um, I'm talking about an external circumstance pain that was sort of not due to anyone's fault. He died of a massive heart attack. But there's more on the line. For some of you in here, your type of suppression and lack of emotional engagement, you are touting a dangerous line. Because I have been around and heard of circumstances of horrific sin committed because of lack of authenticity of a pastor years ago who ended up having an affair within the church who got kicked out of that church, went on to another church, had an affair within that church, who got kicked out of that church, went on to another church, who had an affair within that church, and now he's divorced and has left a trail. And you know what? When he was asked, when did this all start? And he said, well... I caught eyes with this woman when we shook hands. I caught eyes with her and something, there was a spark. What if he had just been honest about that? Just in that moment, what if he just would have been honest there and just said, you know, there was a girl, there was a woman in the church 
and I caught eyes with her, and I just, I just want to confess that. What if he had just confessed that to her brother? Do you know how much heartache and how much pain would have potentially been prevented? And some of you are just not willing to be honest like that. And that's why there, there's a lot on the line. Um, listen to this quote from Zach Eswine. This is incredibly helpful. He's talking about lamenting. When he says to make psalms, it means to lament. To make psalms means to become specific about our actual lives. To become specific in these ways means that we will have to experience very disorienting thoughts, uncomfortable feelings, and the knowledge that nothing will be fixed on the other side of our prayer until God does something. And God's the one that has to do something. You can't. He goes on to talk about how King Herod wasn't willing to wait. King Herod felt threatened when Jesus came into existence. And so what did King Herod do? He killed the firstborn. All the firstborn in the land. And that's what happens when you aren't honest with your emotions. He took his anger out in that way because that was something he could control. And you will do the exact same thing. And you might do it through porn. You might do it through slander gossip. You're going to do it some way, shape, or form unless you are honest with God and with others. Finally, long for redemption. This is where we're getting to the beauty. King David ends his psalm, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's amazing. That sounds like a hallmark. (laughs) <laughs> right? What just happened? You got to ask that question when you read this psalm. Because I get angry when I read stuff like this. Like, what? You just, you just said you felt forgotten forever. You just said that you're afraid that your enemies are going to triumph over you. So, so did David just do one of these things where he's like, okay, I'm going to lament before God. I, I learned my weakness. Now I lamented. Now I sing praises. I've arrived. Presto. This is how it works. Is that Because, you know, I bet we're all in some way, shape, or form wondering, what do we do next? Right? How do we get there? I want to be happy. I want to go through this process. Well, unfortunately, guys, there's no formula. That's not how it works. And here, I'll tell you, I'll give my best reason for this. The reality is, is that God wants a relationship with you. Think about this for a moment. There was a movie back in the day called Stepford Wives. There was an episode of Star Trek that was similar to this. All right? I just outed myself as a nerd. So Captain Kirk visits this planet, and the women on the planet are all robots, and they do exactly what the men want them to do. That's the same as Stepford Wives. Is that a relationship? No. Is that gross? Yes. It's messed up. See... A lot of us want a formula, but if I, if I started interacting with some of you and I said, you know, hey, this is how our relationship's going to work. We meet on Mondays at 8 a.m. If you want to meet with me outside of that, I don't do that. I just do it Mondays at 8 a.m. And uh, we do that, and after six weeks, then we move on to more, you know, deeper levels of friendship. I call that level two. I don't know. It's, this is just weird. That's not how it is. And so it is with God. If, if I could give you some formula on how to work through your pain, and, and it was just this like mathematic equation, 
It wouldn't be a relationship that you had with God. He's asking you to express faith and trust in him. He's inviting you to to walk through a healing process. And there's no formula, unfortunately. You have to deal with reality and all the uncomfortableness that Zach Eswine was talking about. So what is happening? Here's a few observations that we can make. First, this is a meditation after events had taken place. It's not real-time processing. So you can't read Psalm 13 if you've had pain in your life and just think, well, I just got I got pain, go to Psalm 13, now I got it figured out. No, David had it processed through these things after the fact and then wrote them down. But what we want oftentimes is a Hollywood moment, right? I remember when I got married and I got down on one knee, I got, you know, had the four roses, four dozen roses, four roses. That'd be kind of sad. It's like, <laughs> I couldn't even do half a dozen, babe. I'm sorry. But I got four. I had four dozen roses. I had all this food. It was just a picturesque. It wasn't picturesque. It was at the top of 510 Ontario. Not picturesque. But uh, it's, a kind of, uh, it's a place I own. It's not very nice. But anyway, um, I, I got down on one knee. <laughs> I had explained um, my love to Holly, uh, expressed it as best I could, and, you know, popped the question. And I expected angels to sing from the sky. And, you know, she's crying, and, like, we're sitting on this somewhat nasty couch. And I was like, I, I didn't expect it to go like this. I mean, this is nice. I'm excited to be married. But it's not Hollywood. It's just real life. And we just moved on. And, and, and that's just how life goes. Um, next observation. There's no indication here <coughs> that circumstances have changed. Um, it, I don't think that all of a sudden David just experienced entirely different circumstances. Like all of a sudden his enemies were gone. Or all of a sudden he didn't feel alone anymore. No, that's not how it works. Um, <coughs> sometimes what we want most is for our circumstances to change. And what God wants most is for you to sit in your circumstances and be changed. That's what he's calling for. Finally, David is expressing faith. And this is what faith looks like. It's not neat and pretty. It's not something that can be tied up with a bow. It, it, it involves wrestling with the insanity of life. When, you know, here, down here... I, I got a two-year-old, and she likes poop right now. Literally, like she touches it. She takes her pants off and her diaper and reaches and grabs her poop. Poop in your fingernails type of poop. And and this is my life right now. She did it at the hotel. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, at the hotel you're going to do this? We knew you were doing this, but hopefully that won't happen anymore. And now we, we watch her with vigilance. And, and we're like, is she going to do it? Is she going to touch the poop? Don't do Don't. And so we got to give her a spank. And she doesn't get it. And I hate it. And we laugh about it as we're doing right now. But in the moment, I hate it. It's, it, it's terrible. And I don't like spanking her. And she cries. And I hug her. And then I sit her back down. We sat her in the toilet right away after. And Holly and I were talking about to the side like, she did it again. She's two. She can't process everything. But she just looked at us with poop in her fingernails <laughs> and she looked like that and had like this pouty face and I was like she does feel shame right now I wish she didn't feel shame I don't want her to feel shame but I don't want her to touch her poop <laughs> um, and that's just how life is like God has caused me the better I understand 
my humanness and my frailty, I can laugh at that kind of situation and love her in those moments and know that God has something for me here. Um, let me, I want to end <coughs> with an illustration from a movie some of you have heard of and seen called Inside Out. Those of you who have seen this movie, raise your hand. Okay, so Inside Out, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, is about Riley. Riley has moved to California. She's originally from Minnesota, of all places. She's been sad because she had to move away from all her friends and what she's known. And so in the movie, she's tempted to suppress the pain, and somewhat tempted because of what her parents have said, but something's going on internally. And what you get a glimpse of in this movie is joy, sadness, anger, disgust. There's all these different emotions, and we get a glimpse of what's going on in her head. And what's been going on is like this little battle between joy and sadness. And joy is trying to push out sadness, like, don't, just get out of here. Don't be a part of this. And that's joy right there, just in case you're wondering. Um, and what we see is what I'm talking about illustrated really, really well. So I want you to pay attention to this. And as you watch this, think of the parents like God, okay? So here we go. So it's not until Riley acknowledges the pain of what she's lost that joy is allowed to come through. Joy breaks through. And here's the reality. All of us think if we're really brutally honest with God that he's going to turn his back. And he won't. Because his love. David says, God's steadfast in love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. And the salvation we have in Jesus is infinitely better than what David had. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And, and not only does Jesus and God himself invite us into the, that pain, he wrote himself into this story for you. He went to the cross for you. He hung himself there and experienced the wrath of God. He dr drank the cup all the way down for all the brokenness in this world, the worst that you could ever imagine, all of it. He drank it down all the way for you so that the curtain would be torn in two and you could enter into the heavenly realms and have a relationship with the living God. That's what Jesus did for you. So he's inviting you to confess, to be brutally honest, and to be healed through the blood of Christ. It's the best news in the world. It doesn't get any better than that. And there's healing that can come through. I'm not saying it's easy. It's more painful to live in reality. But it's better. It's better. So let me pray for that. If you have any questions, come talk to me. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you that you did that for us. I thank you that because of what Christ has done, we can be embraced just like Riley was in this clip. That when we're brutally honest and we expect to be rejected by you because of our honesty... Because of what Jesus did, we, we won't be rejected. We're totally embraced, unconditionally, because of sovereign grace, because of mercy and compassion. I pray that if anyone in this room feels like they're on the outs, that they can't be re received because of how honest it would be to admit the pain in their life, that they would experience profound blessing, profound compassion that comes through the cross. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
right, guys, you got nine minutes to get to your next seminar. But if you have questions, please feel free to come up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.